all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. All about the Savior and the promise of His Word. It's all about Jesus. Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. I want you to see, first of all, see I capitalized a word there just because I want you to catch it. Forever. It's not like you're the priest until the next one comes in. There's a prophecy in Old Testament, there's many, speaking of a coming priestly Messiah who would be a priest forever, but not only would he be a priest forever, but he'd be of the forever order of Melchizedek. Now what throws the Jewish reader off here is that all of the Old Testament priests in the Old Covenant were from the line of Aaron. I already told you about that. And here David, who uh, wrote Psalm 110, is speaking of a pre-Aaronic priest who was actually recognized by Abraham, if you know the story in Genesis 14, where Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, who was like this priest king. He's a mysterious character. He was over the city state, city state, the city state, see what happens when you try to talk too fast, uh, of Jerusalem, or it was called Salem at the time. And, and that's when Abraham rescued Lot from his captors, and then he gave tithes to Melchizedek. And so David spoke in Psalm 110 of a future perfect, everlasting, forever priest who was to come after the order of Melchizedek. Because the Jews could say, wait a minute, I know about this Jesus character. He's born of, of Mary who came from the line of Judah, and that's not, that's not the, the priestly line, the line of Judah. By the way, if you study your Old Testament, you see it is a prophecy that the Messiah would come from the line of Judah. But the argument would go, he's not one of the sons of Aaron. He's not from the, the line of Aaron. And so the argument that the author of Hebrews says is, this is the, the line that David talked about from the line of the priest of Melchizedek. And more about him, like I said, in, in chapter 7 when we get there. But going on, he says in, in verse 7 of chapter 5, who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Forgive me, but there's a whole lot in verse 7 I want to talk about here, okay? I just see so much in here. First of all, this seems to be a real graphic description of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was, he was just crying out to God, Oh God, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Uh, if not, not my will, but your will be done. He prayed at one point, he, he prayed as a, and sweat as it were, great drops of blood. You could read about that in Matthew chapter 26, Luke 22. But he's, he's picturing Jesus interceding. Jesus weeping and tormenting, you know, agonizing before God. And in the middle of verse 7, it says that he cried to him who was able to save him from death. Now, why am I slowing down here? Jesus was about to die. And he's crying out to him who's able to save him from death. Did God answer his prayer? Did God save Jesus from death? 
What's interesting is you look at this a little deeper because um, I think the Amplified Bible actually likes to break things down and bring, it, bring out the Greek meaning. Let me just quote this line from the Amplified Bible. He says that he prayed to him who was always able to save him out from death. Isn't that interesting? Jesus did die, but God saved him out from death. So did God hear his prayer? You betcha. God saved Jesus out from death. And here's another thing that I caught. You know, sometimes when you have to teach the Bible and you're reading it to teach it, you catch things you normally would just write, read right past. But this just jumped off the page of me as I was looking at it. Why was Jesus heard? According to verse 7, why was Jesus heard by God? It says, because of his godly fear. Some of your Bibles say, because of his reverence toward God. I think we should take note of this, because I think, I've seen, I don't know if you've, heard some of the preachers on TV and radio, and um, I'm listening less and less, and only to my own favorite uh, teachers. But there's a lot of people who make it sound like, this is how you get what you want from God. You come boldly, and you demand it, and you claim it. You give them the verse and say, I claim this verse in Jesus' name. You ever see people pray like that? You know, even Paul, he prayed three times that the Lord would remove this thorn from his flesh. And three times the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. So this just stood out to me as I was reading through it this time. That, that you know what, what? This is something more Christians need to learn. I do believe in praying in faith and praying confidently, okay? But I don't believe in praying arrogantly, presumptuously, demandingly, thinking that if I just speak loud enough and show him a verse, he has to do what I tell him to do. You know, this verse says that God heard Jesus because of his godly fear, because of his reverence. And I really believe that more people will be heard more of your prayers will be heard if you come humbly before the Lord. Of course, I'm saying confidence. I, we need to pray with confidence. But even Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Could you pray that? Oh, no, that's praying without faith. I've, I've actually heard preachers say, that's not praying in faith. Not my will, but your will be done. You need to pray and say, nope, it's mine, and I claim it. Stop. Stick with what the Bible says. Amen. We need to come confidently, but humbly before the Lord. So notice when Jesus prays, how he prays, and let's learn from some of the things he prays. Uh, it goes on to say in verse 8, for though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Wait a minute, there's a whole lot more here too. Does some things stand out confusing to you? Jesus learned obedience? Wait a second, this, this kind of confuses him, right? Jesus learned obedience. Okay, let's back up a little bit. You got to understand. Those of you who know, and you've been studying your Bibles, you know Jesus is eternal. He's God the Son. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to explain all this. I've got a study on the internet, on our website, with all that, but let me tell you something. The God of eternity past never knew obedience because he never needed it, right? He never practiced obedience in eternity past. There was no need for the God of eternity to know or practice obedience. But when he became a man... When Jesus became a man, then he had to learn obedience. He learned it experientially. He learned it practically. He learned it through the things he suffered in the flesh. How many of you guys have ever suffered because of you were being obedient to God? All three of you, that's good. <laughs> Let me read a quote from David Gusek. I like, I like the way he puts this. He says, One thing that God enthroned in heaven does not know is the experience of obedience. Enthroned in the heavens, God obeys no one. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, God obeys no one. All obey him. The angels must have marveled as they saw God the Son who added humanity to his deity and live out obedience. That must have blown their mind. He goes on to say, he obeyed the, the, 
spectacular challenges. He obeyed ordinary life. He obeyed as a child, as a teen, as a young man. He obeyed privately. He obeyed secretly. He obeyed God the Father. But listen to this. He, he also obeyed rightful human authority. Jesus obeyed in all things, even to the end. So if Jesus learned obedience, and Jesus modeled obedience, what does that say about us? Well, I've never seen such riotous Christians as I have in the last couple of years, what's been going on in Christianity, and, and the rise of Christian nationalism, and we're going to fight. Let's know when it's time to fight, and let's know when it's time to get on our knees and fight. Huh? And so, I like this. As a matter of fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For it was fitting for him, for whom all things are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus was made exactly what he needed to be by becoming a man and going through the same thing you and I go through and learning to suffer and yet not do wrong. You know, one of the biggest lessons any Christian has to learn, any human needs to learn, is how to suffer under pressure and continue to do right while suffering. That was what Jesus did for us, and that's what we need to learn to do. So God's plan to save the world through Jesus was made complete, or as some, some of the scriptures say, perfect, through his suffering. So don't, don't let this throw you that Jesus um, was made perfect through suffering. He was already perfect, but he was made the perfect high priest when he suffered. And now we follow his example. I'm telling you, folks, you want to be a Christian? Oh, I, 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 didn't put the, I didn't look up this one for PowerPoint, but it says, uh, indeed, I tell you, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's what the scriptures say. That's a precious promise. Put it on your refrigerator, right? So obeying God requires suffering. And putting to death of the flesh is a suffering thing. It's a denial of the self, uh, of yourself. It's called, uh, it's, it's, it's suffering. Matter of fact, I, I can't help it. But I've got to give you a few verses on this to add to your arsenal. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How's this come? How do we become what God wants us to be? By enduring suffering and continuing doing the right thing under suffering. First Peter chapter 5. Peter went on in chapter 5 to say this in verse 10. But, but may the God of all grace, who's called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, why does he have to put that line in there? After you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. This was one of my memory verses when I was still working in the print trade because the Lord was reminding me, you've got to go through some schooling first, boy, before, before he strengthens, settles, and perfects you, okay? Matter of fact, I'm still in process, by the way. And I love this verse because when it says after you've suffered a while, that doesn't mean that someday you'll live long enough that you'll stop suffering. <laughs> that means when we get to heaven, there'll be no more suffering, Okay? As long as we're in this life, as long as we're living for the Lord, we're going to be dealing with suffering. Reading on, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. Oh, God, give, give me an eternal perspective. Help me to not just look at the temporary things, but help me to look 
at things in the light of eternity. As a matter of fact, in the center of this text where it says, Our light affliction, uh, I remember, I think it was in the, I think I was reading the New American Standard uh, years ago, and it would say, Our momentary light affliction. Whatever you're going through right now, I'm not saying it's not painful. I'm not saying it's not tough. But you know what the Bible calls it? Momentary light affliction. Because there's coming a day, I promise you, when I see you in heaven, if I ask you, remember that terrible thing you went through back there? Remember that? You'll say, momentary light affliction. Look at me now! Look at, look at my body now. It used to be old and crusty. <laughs> Listen, now my, I'm not coughing all the time, and, and my face doesn't look all wrinkly, and, and remember all the trouble I had, the pain? Look at me now, and look at Jesus! It's going to be worth it all, folks. When we get there. Matter of fact, I think I got a verse. Oh yeah, the next one. Romans, Romans 8.18, I love this verse. Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Isn't that perfect? It's like, when we get to heaven, nobody's going to complain about how they got there. You know? You go, oh, I died in an automobile accident, or I had cancer, right? Think of all the terrible things you deal with in life, and we do deal with terrible things in life. When you get to heaven, it's going to be forgotten. You're not going to be going, Oh, but if you only know, why did I die so young? You'll be happy you die young when you get to heaven, okay? Some of you, it's too late, sorry, okay? But I'm telling you something, it's going to be worth it all. It's not worthy to compare. The suffering we're going through now isn't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Okay, let's try to finish our text today. It goes on to say in verse 9, And having been perfected, or uh, qualified, he became the author of eternal salvation, to all who obey him. Now, we've only got a couple verses left, but do you see there's some things I want to talk about in this? In verse 9, look at this. It says, I like the way the New Living puts it again. It says, In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest and that he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. But I'm sorry, I can't pass up this line. Have you noticed that line? To all who obey him. To all who obey him. This isn't saying that God gives eternal life to all who belong to a specific church or denomination. That's it. If you're in, you're in. No. Sorry, folks. I'm reading you the Bible. To all who obey him. It doesn't say he gives eternal life to all who said that prayer one time. You know people who said that prayer one time and now they're living like hell? So it's not... Everybody who just said the magic words... He is the eternal life to all have. Listen to this. Have religious convictions. Well, that person has religious convictions. That's not what this says. Are you obeying the Lord? Or are you living in rebellion and disobedience, but you're religious? Huh? One more. He's not saying, to all who consider themselves spiritual. You know, I remember when I lived, worked in the trade, there was a guy, there's a couple people I would always be witnessing to. And one guy was the most perverted guys I knew. I can't, I'm not, I can't even tell you some of the things he did and said. But years later, I contacted him just to curiosity, find out how he's doing. And he says, oh Mike, you'd be surprised at my life. I'm very spiritual now. And we got talking and I realized he hasn't changed a bit. He's just spiritual now. Okay? That's not to all who obey him. So this is making a very clear distinction between Christianity and can I say the word churchianity. Have you heard that's not really a word. Look it up. It's not there. But there's people who they go to church or they consider themselves spiritual or they have religious convictions. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus says that he gives eternal life to all who obey him. Hmm. So here's your next fill-in. True Christians experience suffering. You probably already guessed that word, right? True Christians experience suffering in many ways. One form of suffering is 
obedience. Did you know that? You ever consider obedience suffering? Uh, keep living, you will. Obedience is often a painful process. Huh? Any of you guys ever gone through pain because you're trying to obey the Lord? So your words are suffering, obedience, and painful. Let me read a quote from the Fire Study Bible. One of the many study Bibles I have on my tablet, and every now and then I, I find a gem in the, the Fire Study Bible. And <clears throat> your next fill-in is hidden in the midst of this quote, so pay attention, see if you catch it, okay? Speaking of verse 8, it says, The eternal salvation provided by Jesus' suffering is made available to all, but is only realized and effective for those who obey him. Jesus was the supreme example of obedience, perfect in every way. Here it comes, you're filling. True faith in him is the kind that brings salvation and a personal relationship with God is an obedient faith. Have you ever heard that term, obedient faith? It just troubles me. There's too many people who just go, oh no, obedience, that's works. Oh no, repentance, that's works. And anything that looks like work, it's disqualified for being a true biblical term. Read your Bible. The Bible's filled with words like obedient faith. As a matter of fact, if you're in a small group, you'll be looking at some of those verses uh, this coming week. Let me continue the quote from the Fire Study Bible. Those who follow Christ and grow in their relationship with him will show a Christ-like obedience. And there's a bunch of scriptures given. I think I'm passing these along to the growth group leaders. I might have even put them in your fill-in. Uh, this obedience will transform our lives and prepare us for a greater unity and glory with him in eternity. <coughs> Folks, God's called you to follow Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't mean you're steering the car. It means wherever, Lord, you tell me where to turn, I'll turn. You tell me where to go, I'll go. I'll give you a couple more verses that really are personal to me that I learned as a young Christian. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You can't just claim to be a Christian, but you're not doing God's will, okay? Again, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Some people don't like to read verses like this, but it's in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Listen, don't you realize, and again, I'm reading from the New Living. I like it. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. I like that, the New Living. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, that I just had a politically incorrect statement, or are thieves, or greedy, greedy, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will enter the kingdom of God. That's it, YouTube just pulled us. I don't care. Not that I don't care. I care what God thinks. And I care what God's word says. And I know what God's called me to do, to tell you the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. So it goes on to say, such, or, and I'm quoting it from the King James, but the New Living says, some of you were once like that. All the lists I just read, Christians are supposed to be, I used to be, I used to be like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God, and called on in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So you know what? Christians are changed. Christians' lives are different. Matter of fact, I'm gonna, your next quote, I'm going to steal from, um, I was watching online, even though I was on vacation, I got to know what I'm missing back home. So I was watching when the Love Life, Pro-Life Ministry did their presentation, and they used a phrase that I love, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it my own, I think it was great, and they said, to believe is to commit. That's your, that, that might be your last fill-in. To believe is to commit. I love that, because what they were trying to do is get you to 
Don't just sit there and, and do nothing. Let, let's march. Let's sign petitions. Let's do what we need to make a difference to stop the, the slaughter of the, the innocent babies. <laughs> I was watching a... Uh, I, was watched, I watched more news than I should have this last week or so. And they were talking about what kills more children than anything else in the United States. And they said it's gun violence. No, it's not gun violence. It's abortion. Hello? Did you miss a few figures somewhere? Did you not do your homework? Anyway... That's another issue. You've already had your pro-life Sunday, but I, we're a pro-life church. i got to mention it. But I love the phrase they used. They were trying to get you to get out of your seat and do something. But this is, applies to all of us under Christianity. To believe is to commit. Well, I believe we're saved by, by grace through faith, just believing. You're right. You don't earn your salvation. He earned it for you. But if you believe, your faith is going to have feet. To believe is to commit. I like that. Okay. So obedience is the mark of a true disciple. And you can't be a disciple. You know where that word, uh, what comes from the word disciple? The word disciplined. You can't be a disciple without discipline. I just realized I went over, so I'm almost finished here. Okay. Obedience is not optional. Okay. A couple more verses, and I'm going I'm to squeeze. You know what? I hear that the, while I was gone, you went over a little bit the last two weeks, so I'm going I'm to follow suit a little bit here. Okay, listen. A couple verses, Romans 2.8, New Living Translation. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth. You know what? Truth isn't just to be believed. Truth is to be obeyed. Huh? Write that down. Truth isn't just to be believed. Truth is to be obeyed. Because the scripture says in Romans 2.8, there's people who refuse to obey the truth, and instead they, they live for wickedness. Or some scriptures say they obey wickedness rather than o obeying the truth. Another, Romans 16.26. And now, as the prophets foretold, and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere, so that they too might believe and obey him. Why aren't we just reading the Bible and realizing that being a Christian means to believe and obey the Lord? I'm just telling you. I'm just tired of people trying to change it to fit their theology or to fit their philosophy. We need to read the Bible. We need to know the truth and obey the truth. Let's finish our text today and we'll back up a little bit first, verse 8, to get the flow. For though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as a high priest according to the lower order of Melchizedek. Verse 11, our last verse today. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. This is the danger for every single one of us. We get dull of hearing. You know, dull of hearing, it's the danger every Christian faces. Have you ever heard a sermon or a Bible story? You've heard it before. I've heard this before. And you tune out. And you get dull of hearing. Maybe, you, maybe there's certain people who you know what they're going to say because you've heard them say it before and now they're talking and you tune out. Don't do that to your Bible. Don't do that to Jesus. Have you ever, you could even hear a very important message and you've heard it so many times you tune out. I have a confession to make. Every time I'm on an airplane and they give me those instructions, I know, thank you, I know how to put on my seatbelt. <laughs> they hold a seatbelt. The seatbelt hooks like this. I want to go, no! <laughs> but we get like that when we get important messages we've heard so many times. After a while, you just tune out, you drift, you're out somewhere else, and you become dull of hearing. And that's what the author of Hebrews is warning us, that it can happen to anybody. There's a danger of being dull of hearing. As a matter of fact, the, the phrase came to my mind that I've heard so many times, familiarity breeds contempt. You know, oh yeah, I know this, oh I know this, I know this. Pretty soon, even though it was a precious message, an important message, you lose your awe and your respect 
for the message. You, lo you lose your reference or maybe even your interest for a message that you've heard too many times. Don't ever do that to the Bible. Amen. When you hear, for God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son, you're, oh yeah, I heard, I know the rest of it. Don't check out. Don't ever get dull of hearing. Don't ever tune out. The word of God is alive and living and sharp and wants to do an ongoing message in your heart. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 15, for the hearts of these people are hardened, for their ears cannot hear. They've closed their eyes so that their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me lest, and let me heal them. He's not saying I can't heal them. He's not saying if they turn to me, I won't heal them. He's saying they stopped listening. And we've got to be careful that we don't ever get like that towards the Bible. Because the Word of God, as we've looked at in Hebrews 4, 12, it's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to always do its work in our lives. And so, Lord, guard my heart that I'd never get bored in the Lord, as they say. <clears throat> You've heard it so many times. It's just oldy moldy Christianity. God's Word is always able to do a fresh work in your life. And you need God's Word to continually do a fresh work in your life, lest you grow dull of hearing. One more verse, and it's what's coming by the time we get to the end of Hebrews 6. There's a warning coming, and Hebrews 6, 11 says, and we desire that every one of you show the same diligence of full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Folks, I wanna, all I want to say is, I think I've already said it. God's speaking. Don't stop listening. God is speaking to you every time you open your Bible, every time you go to church, every time you turn on Christian radio, sometimes when you're not expecting it, through friends and neighbors, God's speaking. Don't stop listening. Listen and don't become dull of hearing. Because God's word, we need to hear it. We need to obey it. Father, we bow before you. And we just admit, Lord, as, as was speaking of the high priest in the Jewish times, we too are human and frail and we so often could become dull of hearing. Lord, help us to stay sharp in these last days when things are getting so dark and Christians are being divided, churches are being split, all the terrible things we see happening around us with spiritual warfare. Lord, help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness and to be what we ought to be and to do what we ought to do. And Lord, I, I lift up your people right now and I pray help us all to hold tight to you, to hold tight to your word. We hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.